Well, good morning, Attridge family. Merry Christmas to you. Hope that your holidays were filled with joy as we celebrate uh, this Christmas season. Thanks for leading, Lance. That was great to have a Christmas joyful song. I wish we had a little bit more Christmas carols together as well. Well, this morning I want to introduce to you uh, a character that I feel has got lost in the Christmas shuffle. Uh, we've been doing a series called The Faces of Advent, and uh, I guess this Sunday it's The Faces of Christmas, and we wanted to highlight uh, significant characters in the, the Christmas story. And here we are, we're after Christmas, we kind of missed through the, the Advent season, and it's a little bit of an afterthought, but obviously this person is a key figure in the story, and the person is Joseph. Last week, Don talked a lot about Mary. And Joseph ends up kind of not getting talked about as much, mainly because we use uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke is the, as the book that we go through with the Christmas story. That's written more to a Gentile focus. It focuses more on, on Mary's side of things. Matthew, on the other hand, the Gospel of Matthew, highlights Joseph. Uh, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, and so the husband, the father, was more of the, the key figure, and so Matthew ends up focusing on him, and that's where we're going to look uh, this morning. So if we look into Matthew uh, chapter 1, you'll see it'll start this, this kind of anticlimactic start to the New Testament of a big, long genealogy, which many people struggle to work through, but that was a big deal for, for them. I'll get into that in a minute. Chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 18 uh, to 20. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was, a faith, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This line that Joseph was faithful to the law in other translations, it's that he was righteous, that he was a righteous Jew. He followed the law. He followed the Jewish customs of the day. So, when a couple was betrothed, the husband would go and he would prepare a home for the family. And then he would come back and the wedding ceremony would happen with the whole community and then he'd take his bride and they'd go back and, and live in the husband's home. If a woman was pregnant before the wedding ceremony, the community would gather together around her, they would question her, they would publicly shame her, and within the law, they could stone her to death for being unfaithful. Joseph decides he's going to keep this quiet for Mary's sake. So today we're going to, I'm going to do a little bit of speculating. I'm going to go a little bit behind the story, and we don't know exactly what all happened. But I'm going to speculate that this was likely a whole lot harder than what we end up reading uh, in this text. Somehow, we don't know how, but Joseph finds out that Mary was pregnant. And this wasn't a private text from Mary in the day. At some point in time, I think it's safe to assume that people notice when a woman is pregnant. Likely, the community knew 
that Mary was unfaithful to Joseph. And now it is time for Joseph, he has the responsibility to press charges against her. Be faithful to the law. Which we know that Joseph seriously ends up considering. As he considers this, I wonder what that consideration was like. Not only was Joseph in a situation where he was keeping this quiet to protect Mary from public shame and possibly death, he also had his own reputation on the line. Remember, this is, this is public. People knew. It sounds like in the story it happens within a very short period of time and kind of early in the, in the whole situation, Joseph finds out and we don't necessarily know that. He is at some point in time, whether he knows it after the angel or not, he is staying with an unfaithful woman and he is now culpable with her. Joseph is a builder. He works with his hands. And you can only imagine the lunchroom conversations with his other blue-collar workers. My assumption is that Joseph's reputation went through the ringer. His buddies were likely giving him counsel. She's got to be lying to you. Dump her. Joseph was likely ridiculed. After sticking up for Mary, he says he's going to marry her, and the pressure likely only increased. His self-righteous Jewish friends likely would have left him. We don't know, but the synagogue may have called him backslidden, at least at the time. But Matthew calls him righteous. Matthew calls him faithful to the law. And so we have the benefit of understanding that Joseph gets that reputation later on. Matthew writes this in hindsight. So something must have happened to change this Jew's perspective from someone who was staying with an unfaithful woman, potentially, so it was thought, to become a righteous, faithful-to-the-law Jew. So, we know a little bit more. The story goes on, Matthew uh, 1, 20 to 25. But after he considers this, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph got to name him Jesus. This is a big deal. This is basically granting legal status and identity to Jesus. Joseph got to name the boy that wasn't his own. This is basically saying that Joseph is adopting, fostering, becoming the legal guardian of Jesus as his own son. 
For those of you that are in non-biological families, you are in good company with the Holy Family. In a world where, uh, where the genealogy meant so much, good, news, good Jews knew their lineage all the way back to Abraham. If we look at the genealogy in Matthew, we see the father of, the father of, the father of. And we get to Joseph, and he is known as the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Let's go back and, and think how hard, again, this would be in a patriarchal society to be known by your wife, who was hardly recognized as more than property. If we look at the genealogy in Luke, it's a bit nicer. It's Jesus, the son of God, the, Jesus, the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. If you're an adoptive parent, you know how much it stings when people say, well, they're not your real child. To Joseph, I expect that if he would have read this, it would have stung. And then even in Luke's genealogy, it goes through Mary's line. In case you wondered, if you look up the two differences, one's Joseph's, one's Mary's. In Luke, Joseph is connected with his in-laws. Mary's dad is listed because Mary is the bloodline of Jesus. To be identified with your wife in that way, in that time, Joseph must have been a very humble man. I want to highlight a few other things about Joseph. So Joseph at first thinks his fiancée is cheating on him, but is told by an angel to marry her, okay? Then you have a census. So instead of divorcing her, Joseph takes them from their home in Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee, and takes them to meet his extended family in Bethlehem, in Judea. So consider this. A two-province road trip to see the uncles and aunts and have them be introduced to Mary, who was unfaithful. So it was thought. These are also Jews that you are taking her to meet, and they also would be likely wondering why this woman isn't dead, why you aren't pressing charges, at least disgraced. But you're staying with her, Joseph, really. So Galilee, Nazareth and Galilee, is up in the north. They would have had to travel through the first, that's the first province, then they would have had to travel through Samaria, the despised province, to get to the holy land of Judea, the third province. If you start in Saskatchewan and you want to get to BC, it's, it's like going through Alberta. But the Samaritans were not a very, very favorable group to the Jews. Often those, the good Jews would travel all the way around. They wouldn't even go through that land. This trip was likely at least a week long, could have been longer, week and a half, two weeks. Mary is towards the end of her pregnancy, so it sounds, and if tradition was correct, she was riding a donkey. 
Again, let's look at what Joseph's character might have been like. My assumption is that he was a very good and patient man to travel with a woman who was 30 weeks pregnant and riding on a donkey for over a week. More than likely, he got an earful. And more than likely, he gave more than one back rub. Mary ends up giving birth in a stable. They present Jesus in the temple with a pair of doves. Someone just has to highlight, of course, that they end up giving a couple of pigeons, a couple of doves, which is known as the substitute for the proper sacrifice, which is the lamb. The sacrifice identifies them as too poor to offer the lamb sacrifice. It's not a secret. It's not uncommon. There are many that would, would have done that. But still, Joseph is now also identified as poor, not able to provide the good sacrifice of the lamb. So somewhere in here, between a month or a couple years, they're visited by some wise men, which sets off King Herod, uh, who's absolutely paranoid. King Herod's in Jerusalem. Just outside of Jerusalem is a small town community called Bethlehem not far from the big city, where the high-profile people would have been. They're not so used to the big high-profile people coming out to Bethlehem, the small little rural community. We can pick on the people from Hepburn, maybe, as an analogy. In this story, all the kids in the neighborhood die because of Herod's paranoia because of being visited by the royalty, the wise men. They are also killed because of Mary and Joseph's son. Bethlehem may be a town of 500 people. Have the boys under two killed, maybe 15, maybe 30 of them. A couple of weeks ago, we showed a video basically wiping out the nursery in the synagogue. There was weeping in that community. And I wonder how much blame fell on Mary and Joseph. They escaped to Egypt to save Jesus, but I wonder if they were also escaped, escaping from small-town life where many family members may have held them responsible. So Joseph is warned, he's told to flee to Egypt, which is now further still. Remember, this was just going to be a couple provinces over, and now he's told to even go further, traveling with his wife and now a little child. They likely arrive in an area of Egypt called Alexandria, where there is a large community of Jews where they likely would have been accepted. They had been presented gifts from wise men, which may have helped to pay for this extended trip. But Joseph still would have likely had to have found work as a refugee now in Egypt. So for those of you who have arrived from a different country, either as an immigrant or as a refugee, even if you have family or financial support, you know how hard it is. You know the challenges of settling in a new area. You know what they would have dealt with. He stays there for some time. We don't know exactly how long. 
And then he's told he's allowed to return to Israel. But don't go back to Judea, where all the kids have been killed, and where Herod's crazy son is now ruling. So what do they do? He goes and raises his family with his in-laws, Mary's hometown of Nazareth. Here's the point that we learned from Joseph. He sacrificed his reputation, his identity, and the little status that he had all for God's plan, which made absolutely no sense. And likely was totally misunderstood by everyone around him, with a few exceptions. Anna, Simeon, and some shepherds, but they were back in Jerusalem, Bethlehem area, and they were up in Nazareth. They were the wise men, but, well, they had gone back home. So they were left with Zechariah and Elizabeth and their crazy son, John the Baptist. So Mary and Joseph get back to Nazareth. Who understands their story? Who understands what they've all been through? Who gives them an empathetic ear? Who wants to hire Joseph? People are barely beginning to understand how Zechariah and Elizabeth, an old couple who now have a kid who grows up, he eats bugs, he makes his own line of camel hair clothing. They're barely understanding how that could have happened. How much of Joseph and Mary's story are they going to understand? Are they going to really understand what all they went through? We don't know much about Jesus' childhood. We do know that about 12 years later, Joseph is still doing the right thing. He is still every year taking his family to Jerusalem for Passover. Which again, if we fill in some blanks, likely brought on a lot of trauma. What happens when you go down to Jerusalem, and you see the extended family from Bethlehem also coming. You know, the ones whose kids died while Mary and Joseph now still have their son. And it's at this time that it happens. Jesus ends up actually betraying Joseph. Luke chapter 2, 48 to 50. Mary and Joseph can't find their son. And when they do, he ends up saying that he's in his father's house. Now, Jesus, as well as Luke, we know, are teaching a very theological important part of this story of who Jesus' true father is. I got no problems with that. The problem that I have, though, is that Mary and Joseph don't get it. They're the ones who don't understand. What is he meaning? Is Jesus going through a preteen crisis identity? Did some kids end up mocking him about Joseph not being his real dad? And now he wants to go into ministry and not be a carpenter. Mary and Joseph didn't seem to understand exactly what was going on. And then, 
it all goes quiet. As we look through the New Testament, through the Gospels, tradition would have that uh, he died, Joseph died, before Jesus seeing the start of his ministry. Compared to the other characters in the, the Bible story, in the Christmas story, they all get speaking parts. Only Joseph's actions are recorded. The events going on around him. He doesn't even get a line. He's silent. His words are not recorded. But then after it's all done, Matthew, looking back on his life, says that he is a righteous Jew. I believe that Joseph is the epitome of humility. It's hard to say in the Bible that anyone is more humble than Jesus. But Joseph has got to be a close second. After all, who did Jesus learn it all from? Who did Jesus learn humility from? Yes, Jesus was God. But Mary and Joseph raised him. Think about it. When Jesus is teaching on humility, on adoption, on sacrifice, on servanthood, on loving your enemies, who is the model in Jesus' mind? Joseph? Mary? Just think of his parables. The ones talking about workers, being a servant, marriage, and even fatherhood. When I did youth ministry many, many moons ago, we did a character study and uh, we debated who was the greatest Bible character other than Jesus. I don't know who it was Moses or Paul, I think one, I can't even really remember. But I do remember that my vote was actually for Joseph. Joseph would have been Jesus' earthly example who taught Jesus how to live a life of holiness on earth. The, the point isn't to debate or even speculate. The point of this message is to give you a perspective of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. From Joseph, we learn a lot about humility and about doing the right thing, regardless of our reputation and regardless of our circumstance. Joseph is an example for every one of us to follow, not just at Christmas, but year-round. I'm going to conclude with a poem. It's called Joseph the Righteous. And I ask you to, to listen to God's Spirit to see how you can respond. You might want to close your eyes. It's a bit of a long one. Settle in. But I think it helps us understand a bit of who Joseph was. Joseph the Righteous by Donna Mast. Joseph was a man. An ordinary, earn-your-living-with-your-hands kind of man. A carpenter by trade. Ah, but he was righteous. How many of us could say the same? 
when told his intended was pregnant with another's child, Joseph chose the quiet way. He chose to spare her humiliation. Joseph chose to grant her life. Would you, would I, have done the same? When we have every human right to defend our rights, I'm right, you're wrong. You have wronged my rights. You, not I, shall pay the humiliation price. But not Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man, a soon-to-be humiliated man, a man who would humble himself rather than see his intended humiliated beyond her extended belly. Joseph would pay the humiliation price in the jeers of the crowd. Hey there, Joseph, you righteous man, you. Weren't you engaged to be married, Joseph? Weren't you man enough to keep your woman, Joseph? Weren't you man enough to keep your woman lusting after your own man body? And now, aren't you man enough to do the right societal thing? Aren't you man enough to rally the community into a decent stoning? Aren't you man enough to be married? Hey there, Joseph, you righteous man, you. But Joseph was a righteous man. A man enough man to take on humiliation for the sake of another. Joseph was a man. An ordinary earn your living with your hands kind of man. A carpenter by trade. Ah, but he was a dream heater. How many of us could, stay, could say the same? When decision-heavy weariness overtook him for the night, Joseph dreamed a dream. Joseph dreamed receptively to God's messenger. Joseph dreamed attentiveness to God's voice. Would you, would I, have done the same? Armed with human logic to explain away the dream, dreams have no place in the light of day, especially when they demand so illogic a course. Father a child that isn't mine? Not likely. Pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Impossible. What do you take me for? A fool? But not Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man. A soon-to-be-a-father man. A man who would travel an uncharted course rather than fail to live according to the intentions of a saving God. Joseph would pay the price of fathering another's child. He would marry his intended, yet remain celibate until after the birth. He would accompany Mary through childbirth in a stable. He would listen to the cries of a babe and hear himself cry, Holy. He would choose the angel name choice and name the babe Jesus. And later, he would listen to more dreams, always choosing for the sake of the baby to follow the God dream message. For Joseph was a righteous man, a man enough man to take on fatherhood for the sake of another, for the sake of generations of others, for the sake 
of a world of others for the sake of you and me. Joseph was a man, an ordinary earn-your-living-with-your-hands kind of man, a carpenter by trade. Ah, but he was righteous, a holy dream heater. How many of us could say the same?